Today we are looking what does it mean to stand between the dead and the living. It's a call to intercession in the book of Numbers, looking at chapter 16, verses 41 to 50. I remember when I was in Bible school in Germany, they sent a new principal, they would call them rector, and he was sent from America to the school there, and he had been sent to make the necessary changes that needed to happen, and also to put the school back on budget because they had been overspending. Well, I would say that he wasn't received very well. The opinion was thanks, but no thanks. And so I remember watching him, a man of God, face much rejection and opposition. And wherever he turned, the staff did not want to help, nor the students. They all dug their heels in and said, no way. I also was reminded this week of a district superintendent who was at the time in his life when he was retiring, and he said it with tears in his eyes that he had desired as a leader to be a person who would shepherd the pastors. And instead, he spent all his years in leadership putting out one fire after another. I say all that because I'm amazed today, even through all that we've been through, that anyone would ever want a position of leadership. (laughs) That's exactly what we're dealing with today in our passage in Numbers chapter 16. They're not accepting the leadership that God has chosen. They're questioning. And so our background to our particular passage in chapter 16 is it begins with Israel's leaders challenging the authority and leadership of Moses and Aaron. There was Korah and Dathan and Abram, and they were leaders of this rebellion. And they rebelled because they were envious of these honorable positions that Moses and Aaron held over the congregation. The clan of the Levites were in an uproar. And that's represented by Nadab, who was the grandson of Koath. Now, Koath was also Moses and Aaron's grandfather, so these are cousins. And because Reuben was Jacob's firstborn, and according to tradition, the Reubenites were upset, and they were represented by Dathan and Abram. They believed that it was their birthright Uh, to have these positions, not Moses and Aaron. And so it says in God's word in chapter 16, they went up against Moses and Aaron, and they had 250 other prominent Israelite leaders. But Moses and Aaron had been appointed by God. They had not chosen this. And Aaron was indeed to be that high priest of Israel. God called Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. And the tribe of Levi was given the responsibility to serve them. This was from God. You can find that back in chapter 3 of Numbers. See, Aaron and Moses didn't pick their positions. We remember that dialogue that Moses had. He didn't want it. It was God who had appointed them. And by rejecting their leadership, ultimately these Israelites were rejecting God. Because it was God who had appointed them. Now, this has nothing to do with my message today, but I do believe it's an important point. I want to give us all a warning here. We know in Scripture that we are told not to touch God's anointed. And the reason for that, we might find ourselves not up against them, but as this passage shows us, actually even up against God who put them in that position in the first place. And so to this angry mob... 
Moses proposed that all of them appear before the Lord and let Yahweh decide who was to be his chosen leader. (coughs) And so the next day, the Lord confirmed his choice of Moses and Aaron in a terrible way by opening up the earth to swallow every, every last dissenting leader associated with Korah along with their households and their possessions. This is not a pretty scripture. It says they went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they own and the earth closed over them and they perished. And not just them, because it goes on to say, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. What a tragedy. This is a background to our passage today. But you know what? It isn't over yet because now as we look at our passage, the next day the Israelites now come and they're grumbling and murmuring and they're blaming Moses and Aaron for the demise of the rebels. And so God is fed up with these people and we see this terrible plague comes uh, forth. And we also see that Moses, the benevolent mediator, immediately sent Aaron with a censer to get incense, to make atonement for the people saying, and you'll find this in verse 46, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar, lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them and the plague has already begun. I want you to picture this passage The infuriated, grieving mass of people haven't learned their lesson from the day before. And this throng, this multitude, some believe it was millions, come out towards these two men in anger. I think that would make me uh, tremble in fear. Millions against just two men. And they would have torn them to pieces if it wasn't for God intervening. Because in that moment, from the cloudy pillar that is over the tabernacle, the glory of God begins to descend and envelop the people and the situation. And he's protecting his uh, sacred space. And he's protecting the ones that he has chosen. And blazing forth from this, we're told, is this wonderful holy light. We often refer to that as the Shekinah glory of God. The glory of God shows up. And we're told in this passage, it's interesting the responses here, we're told in this passage, the mob, the people stood back. God shows up and the glory of God shows up and the people stand back. While we watch Moses and Aaron, aware of the holy, fall on their faces before God. Two different responses. And see, I want to tell you today, there's always two different responses when God shows up. There are those who will stand back. (laughs) But praise God, there are those who will fall on their faces before a holy God when he shows up. This angry mob was so far from God and so out of touch with the holy. And I challenged me as I read that this week, are we? Can we get so out of touch with the holy when God shows up, we don't even know it anymore? And we see this attitude of Moses as he falls on his face and he's seeking heavenly wisdom. He's not seeking retaliation or anger or revenge. He's not saying, good, they're going to get theirs. (laughs) 
Jesus said in Matthew 5:11, "Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me." And Moses and Aaron in this position of intercession begin to beg God to spare the people. See, they had heard the voice of God warning them in that glory, in that cloud, get away from them because I've had enough, I'm going to destroy them. And just then, as God says it, the outer ranks of that crowd begin to fall in death. Later in the passage, we're actually told the number that did die that day were 14,700. Very exact. And so Moses tells Aaron, quick, run to the altar and bring the censer and the holy fire and put this incense on it. See, the censer was that which was only the high priest was able to use. And it was in that Holy of Holies. And it was there when he would go to make the atonement, the day of atonement. Leviticus 16 tells us about that. And yet he was having a bit, Moses and him were a bit audacious because it's not the day of atonement, but they run into that place and him as the high priest, the only one who could do it, he grabs that censer uh, and he grabs the holy coals and he grabs this incense and he goes. Do you realize this passage says to us that Aaron was way up in years at this point? Some are not sure, but some say he might have been even over 100. And yet we see in this passage he still has the urgency. It says that he ran. He fills his censer and runs knowing what is in his hands. If accepted by God, because he's not sure of that, he could stand death in its tracks. And so we're told this beautiful passage where Aaron literally stands in the gap. He stands between the dead and the living. One side, there is this heap of bodies, dead bodies on top of each other. And on the other side are those who are still living. And because of one man, because he was willing to stand there and intercede for them, he is holding his censer, making atonement for them. Now, the word atonement here is interesting because we know that atonement is what God does to make us at one with him, at one mint. And, and, but the actual word here is expiation. It originated back in the need to keep the sanctuary, the holy place, pure. To keep the tabernacle pure. God could tolerate small amounts of impurity because we serve a holy God. But for God to in, in continue to dwell with his people, to continue to dwell in the tabernacle, uh, the place could not be polluted. The place could not be filled with any kind of sin or anything that would happen to make it unclean or polluted. Because God cannot dwell in a place of impurity. And so impurity had to be dealt with and quickly. And so expiation is that cleansing, that purifying, that sanctifying, again, those things that have become corrupt. And as a result, atonement then is made because by doing that, it makes us again at one with God. And the relationship is restored. And so expiation relates to the things that 
caused the problem. Hear me right. It is not the person so much that is the issue. It is the act and the sin that they have done that has become the issue. And this is what expiation is doing, this atonement. It is this cleansing and asking for forgiveness and removing of the stain. And so for this, we know that Christ, in Christ, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are told that we are to live in such a way that we keep ourselves pure in a very fallen and broken world. That we live a life that our actions and our hearts are purified and cleansed, that they might honor God, that God would dwell in us through his Holy Spirit. And if we mess up, then we need cleansing too, to be at one with God. I like what 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So what an example Aaron is in this passage for us to follow. He loved his people despite they were rebellious and stiff-necked. He loved them even though they grieved his heart. Even though they came up against him, in love he stands there making intercession for them. They didn't deserve it. He doesn't conclude, let them all get what they have coming to them. Instead, he runs to stand in their midst. He could have stayed back and said, not for me, it's just too dangerous. I'll just keep myself safe. Aaron never considered this. Into the danger he ran boldly. And I will wave my censer in the face of death. And then the incense in Aaron's hands was that expiation for the people. And God saw the perfume offered by the high priest as he's making atonement. And praise God, we hear in this story that the plague was stopped. John Golden Gate said that the whole sacrificial system is not so much to deal with God's anger as much as to expiate the stain of our sin and bring us into right relationship with God, again, better known as the atonement. Why do I say all this today? Because I want to challenge us on this area of intercession. Aaron fell, Aaron stood, and Aaron made atonement. These are all aspects of the importance of prayer. Standing between the dead and the living is a true picture of intercession, a true picture of prayer. And throughout the Bible, incense is a symbol of prayer. Look at Psalm 141.2. May my prayer set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And when we go into the book of Revelation, we see it there too. Look at Revelation 5, verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Look at chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Aaron was standing in the gap. He was interceding. He was praying for the people of Israel. What are we called to do 
as God's people. Aren't we also called to stand in the gap between the living and the dead with the censor of prayer so that the plague of sin may be stopped? I believe this is our call right now in the midst of the plague of COVID, that God has called us as the church of Jesus Christ, not just the leaders, because we're called to it for sure, but also all of us, the priesthood of believers. We are called now to stand in that gap between the dead and the living and to intercede and to pray for people that this plague COVID would stop. But let's realize there is even a greater death plague, and it is sin. Who is going to stand in the gap? Who is willing to pray? Who is willing to intercede? Do you have an urgency as a believer to pray, to intercede for others, to show God's love and compassion, no matter what they've said, no matter what someone has done to you, no matter whether they deserve it or not? Do you really love people? I don't care what age you are, are you willing to stand and pray? and even run, if need be, between the living and the dead. And in the face of opposition, how do we usually respond? I'm challenged too. Do we kneel? Do we stand? Do we make atonement for others, even though they don't deserve it? See, Aaron was a faithful leader. He was a faithful intercessor and a model for all of us with the smoke of his censer rising to God. He exemplified compassionate, forgiving prayer and intercession. A genuine servant of God is intent on saving the lives of others around them. Isn't this a wonderful image of the priestly intercessor who is indeed our Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, as Hebrews says, sacrificed his own life and took upon himself the sins of humanity through his death on the cross. He did this to gain salvation and eternal life for a rebellious human, human race infected by the plague of sin, and none of us deserved it, and yet he loved us enough to do it. I like what Spurgeon said. Aaron might have feared death at the hands of the people. Jesus Christ did exactly meet it. And yet there he stood, even in the hour of death, waving his censer, staying the plague, and dividing between the living and the dead. And the cross of Jesus Christ today still stands as that censer between the living and the dead. Or the dead and the living. Jesus, we're also told, as our high priest, endured this plague of death for us on our behalf. It fell upon him, turned away by the Father forsaken. The plague which Jesus kept from us is called sin, and it killed him. Isaiah told us, and the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Oh, my friends, today Jesus loves us, and he is the lover of our soul. Sin shook its angry fist at Jesus, and he held nothing back. And yet Jesus willingly laid down his life for you and for me, and he forgot our offenses and atoned for our sin with his own blood that we might be reunited with God. Jesus ran into our mess. 
He came to his own, and we're told that John says, and his own didn't even accept him. Actually, they hated him, they spat upon him, they mocked him, and they slandered him, and they eventually even killed him. And Jesus, in this amazing love, this intercession, this prayer, was willing to spill his own blood to make atonement for such an unworthy bunch as us. And what does he pray from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus on the cross is our high priest, spreading his arms wide and made intercession for all of us that the plague of sin could be stopped. So you and I don't, instead of experiencing spiritual death, may now experience life. Instead of being separated from God, we can be reunited with him. And word, the word of God even tells us that even now today, Jesus is our high priest, still interceding and praying for us. So in the face of this pandemic, in the face of opposition and difficulty, how do you respond? I pray you respond by kneeling, standing, and atoning positions of prayer and intercession. As I bring this to a close today, I, I, I was taken back by 9-11. It's been so long ago now, but I remember watching it and seeing it on the news and watching the first responders, and we've seen a lot of this even first responders through COVID, while everybody was fleeing and running as far away from it as they could, they were running into it. Aaron didn't try to save himself. He defended the very ones who rejected him. He ran into the mess and he stood between the dead and the living. And if Aaron had not prayed, the plague would have not been stopped and many would have died that day. Aaron's act and the censor saved a great multitude. If he had not prayed, they would have all been consumed. It makes me think now, what would happen if we don't pray as the church of Jesus Christ? What happens if the church, we do not kneel, we do not run, we do not stand, we do not pray between the dead and the living? I pray God will help all of us to follow Aaron's example, but more importantly, Jesus' example, who is our Lord and Savior. God help us all today.